You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Thursday afternoon. The Hong Kong International Literary Festival will kick off tomorrow, the 5th of November, all the way through to the 15th of November. And this year, the festival will bring you many events, including virtual, hybrid, and also in-person events. And this afternoon, I'm really delighted to be chatting with one of the authors of this year's festival. In the next 10 minutes or so, we're chatting with Alex Pung, who's an award-winning Australian writer. Her book's include the best-selling memoirs Unpolished Gem and Her Father's Daughter and her novel Lorinda and she's the editor of anthology Growing Up Asian in Australia and her latest book is the novel 100 Days. Welcome to the program Alice. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me on, Noreen. It's a pleasure to, to speak with you. Um, now, I'd love for our listeners to, to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I read that your parents are Chinese-Cambodian and have really been through some horrific times back, back in Cambodia. And uh, you, were, you were born and bred in Australia. What was it like uh, growing up in Australia with the mixing of cultures uh, in your family and, and outside of your family? Oh, um, excellent question, Noreen. So I was born shortly after my mom and dad arrived in Australia, and my father named me Alice because after surviving those killing fields of Cambodia, he thought Australia was a bit of a wonderland. So I grew up in um, the inner inner city suburbs of Melbourne, and um, we were what you would classify as the the working poor. So you had um, a, a, a very... Um, a very long-standing group of white Australians who had been working class in the neighbourhood for, for many, many years, and they didn't know what to do with these new refugees um, who were suddenly their next-door neighbours or their colleagues working alongside them in factories. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in a very diverse neighbourhood. I, I can't say it was all multicultural bliss because there, there was also quite a bit of racism because when you're the working poor, anything that's a threat to your livelihood, um, including these, you know, <laughs> new Asian immigrants that you know nothing about, is um, is a threat to your livelihood. So we we were accused of stealing jobs, and we were sometimes followed down the street by cars, sometimes oh, bad acts, sometimes I'm so sorry. you know. So it wasn't. I mean, but that's the same as immigrants everywhere. I was going to say that this narrative America. continues, yep, till this day. It, it yeah, happens. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> it's nothing. Yeah. And the Italians and Polish refugees had it very similar before us in Australia. So, you know, Absolutely. we were getting equality of treatment as new immigrants. Well, yes, nothing new under the sun. It's it's a repeated narrative no, that, that no. happens. It is such yeah, a repeated unfortunately. narrative, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I, I I know definitely in your work you, you feature a lot of diversity. Um, uh, how important is diversity and, and representation in children's and, and young adult fiction? Actually, it should be across all, across all fiction, even adult fiction. But let's just say for, for the nature, for, for, I don't know, to, to generate better interest in reading uh, for, for our young audience, how important is diversity for, for them to see the uh, representation? Oh, uh, it depends. Um, who who is doing the seeing, Noreen. So it was important for me because I grew up um, without the internet. I grew up without knowing that there were whole countries so close to us where um, 
women were attractive who look like me because you know you yeah. look in in your books and magazines and women um, who were attractive all look like that supermodel Miranda Kerr, very white and yeah. very beach like. <laughs> and then you go home to parents who tell you to stay out of the sun, at least you become tanned and unattractive. So there, there were some conflicting messages from your home life and also your outside life. Um, it's it has to happen organically. This idea of diversity because I've read a lot of diverse books back when I was growing up and they weren't written by diverse Australians of course they were mm -hmm. written by very famous Australian writers and then um, they didn't quite come off because people who look like me uh, were mainly refugees in these books and they had no flaws because mm -hmm. Noreen if you are a, a very progressive white person writing about a refugee, the only flaw you'll give them is that they're too hard working yeah. and the only character trait they'll have is that they're being bullied at school, you know. Yeah. So these weren't real characters. They were a collection of cultural quirks and that's why it's so important to have Asian Australians or Muslim Australians or African Australians write in their own voices because suddenly your characters can be uh, truly and uniquely flawed and interesting to people not just a, a lesson they have to take like vitamin tablets or something. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's um, get to know your recent novel a little bit better, 100 Days. Uh, what is it about? Can you tell our audience? Oh, yeah. I um, grew up uh, with a lot of relatives who lived in housing commission flats, and I grew up with quite a few friends who disappeared off the face of the earth, uh, metaphorically, because uh, we, you know, we, we didn't have internet in the 80s. Um, and 90s. So when they got pregnant, I never saw them again. So I wanted to explore um, a, a young teenage pregnant woman <laughs> growing up in these housing commission flats because very few books um, accord young teenage pregnant women a uh, sense of agency. So <laughs> that's what 100 Days is about. And you also asked some very philosophical question in there, you know, to, to what extent... Uh, do children sort of belong to their parents? And I don't know, I think as parents, we, we, we do want our children to be, you know, a bit like us, to, to behave like us. And, and we uh, sort of impart the best beliefs into them. But then children just want their own identity. They just sort of want to be their own person. Um, so, oh, that's so true. Yeah. And we want to be as yeah. different to our parents as possible. Um, um, and so, I mean, to, to what extent do children belong to their parents? Oh, you know, I've got three children, and when my first child was born, you know, the moment I looked at him, I was absolutely baffled. I thought, wow, this, this is a completely different new human being. I don't understand him. I don't know <laughs> anything about him. I'm, I'm really fascinated to, to learn about this new human being. So I, I don't, to the extent they belong to us, we keep them safe when they're minors, of course, because there's many hazards for babies and children crossing the road, that kind of thing. But in terms of their thoughts and their dreams, definitely they don't belong to us. And what I was grappling with when I'm writing 100 Days was, um, you know, my parents um, come from Cambodia. And as the very first part of ethnic cleansing in Cambodia, they closed down the Chinese schools. So my mother's not very educated. So when I was growing up, she had all these superstitious uh, beliefs. <laughs> Even when I was pregnant as, as a woman in her 30s, my mother would tell me, not to eat certain foods in case the baby grew up with like pock marks or not to uh, don't eat have soya sauce. Yeah, my grandma did this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did she? 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I grew up in Australia where your friends say, oh, you know, that's just superstitious. Um, and to what extent is that a critique of superstition? And then how does it verge onto racism when your parents, like, smack you <laughs> and then your friends at school say, you've got to call Kids Helpline. Kids Helpline will take your parents away and show them what's right. <laughs> of course, I never called up Kids Helpline because that's just... Asian parents. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> You'll get another smack. Yep, that was, you know, my mom would say, yeah, you try and call the police. I'll just smack you some more. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we had similar upbringing. <laughs> oh, I don't think I resent my parents for, for you know, what they did. <laughs> and it is such a philosophical question. You're right. I mean, children develop their own consciousness, their own, yeah, they are their own person. Um, but I think in some cultures, um, the, uh, children are sort of still seen as a, an extension of parents or maybe achieving dreams that parents never got to achieve. Um, um, I'm on this Facebook group called Subtle Asian Traits, and you often see people <laughs> sort of, um, <laughs> I'm finally realizing my parents' dream. I'm a doctor for Halloween, just sort of dressed up as um, that, that character. It, it is a, but, yeah, it's very philosophical. Um, in your work, um, I really see themes of family and class and culture. Um, why why is it important for you to explore this with with the audience? Oh, um, just because I didn't grow up as a middle class mm, writer, so yeah. uh, it, it, I can only write from you know, what we know. my vantage point, yeah. which is very limited, isn't it? And I, I can't write as a middle class writer about my feelings all the time, just because. I grew up in a household that was constantly stressed. You know, your feelings were secondary to what you needed to do and, you know, the life you needed to get on with. And so um, that's the voice I have. And I think that's so important because there are very few uh, working class writers out there that are being published with their true working class voices. A lot mm. of them try to, to not sound, you know, uncouth. But my, my co-panellist at the Writers' Festival, Emily Maguire, mm. also um, comes from a very working-class background. She does her voice just really well. Um, yeah, she says every good story, she quotes Grace Paley, the American short story writer, every good story to make it interesting to adults has to have these two um, you know, essential facts of blood and money. So, you know, <laughs> money in that the certain economic arrangements by which people live in this world and blood, how they're related to kin and family. So that's what I write about and that's what Emily does as well. Yeah, and, and that is the authenticity that readers, you know, want to read and probably, you know, reflects their own um, upbringing. Um, so, yes, uh, so your, your event will be happening on the 7th of November and it's an online event from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, in Hong Kong uh, called Family Fault Lines. What will you and Emily be exploring? in your talk oh emily's written this fantastic book about a woman who collects things you know you you might watch american television and these people are called hoarders Hoarders, and the houses are full of junk and things like that but she actually spent a year at doing a residency at a medical institute to understand the psychology of hoarding and the psychology of why people find it hard to let go of things and her book is a a work of fiction that artfully explores this in a really humane and really, um, really, you know, really heartbreaking way um, that humanizes the, the woman who, who collects things. I don't call her a hoarder because she treasures everything she collects. 
And uh, we've been in conversation before, Emily and I. We'll just be talking about these characters that rarely get a look in in, <laughs> in literature. I think we lost you just there a, a second oh, ago. Sorry. Yes, no, it's all right. It's all right. Um, yeah, but I, I, I agree. I, I think, um, I think I read somewhere about about hoarders. Well, you know, we shouldn't really call them hoarders, but a lot of times they have a lot of um, psychological attachments um, with the with the things because they they weren't able to maybe form really good relationships um, w- with people, so they form it with with their things, and they find it hard to let go with their things. I think perhaps I. Oh, I that's so true. Yeah. And they they don't, and, and, and even they don't want Asian to throw grandmothers. Away. Absolutely, yes, exactly. It goes yeah. back to because growing up they didn't have anything, so there's that no. mentality. And they of, collect rubber bands. And- <laughs> my grandma collects um, cling film. She washes cling film and she hangs them up and she reuses oh, them. Oh, 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 well, my mum, my mum was going to do that, but I threatened that I'd tell people, <laughs> like aunties and stuff. Exactly. So she, she said, "Okay, bye." <laughs> do it. Oh, that is so sweet. That's so sweet. Oh, yeah. Your grandmother is an environmentalist before we even have the term. You Absolutely. Know. An eco warrior. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Alice, it's Aww. been so lovely to talk with you this afternoon. Can you remind our listeners once again how we can find out more about you and your work? Are you on social media? And have you got a website? Oh, I do. Um, it's alicepool.net. Excellent. Well, I look forward to your talk on Sunday, the 7th of November, between 6 to 7. And for our listeners who want to get tickets, do go to the festival's website, which is really easy, festival.org.hk. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Alice, and we'll chat to you again soon in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.